0: Welcome home to the Crash the Pod podcast. It is a Monday, December nineteenth edition of the show, and Jake, we've got some winning Ducks hockey games, plural, to talk about this week. Get excited!
1: Wait, you buried the lead, though. Did I? <laughs> you buried the lead here. That's impo- that seems impossible. The Ducks made an earth-shattering trade today. Oh no. The Ducks. Oh, no. Pat Verbeek. Pat Verbeek, not a standing bit, Pat. Not standing Pat. He had something cooking today before the, the roster freeze at midnight and picked up <sighs> it for his third tour of duty in the Anaheim oh, Ducks franchise, Michael Delzato for why, Danny O'Regan. Why are we giving this airtime? It, it, it does not deserve airtime. I'm it's simply so, doing this because so I know it bugs you oh my goodness it's an it's inconsequential except when michael delzato is playing for the ducks after they trade away guys yeah no that's
0: uh i saw that and i didn't even tweet about it it's
1: just
0: it's just an ahl move
1: anyway i had to really think about how many like year how many uh stints delzato had had with the ducks and i think this is the third i i don't I will
0: not give it any thought. I'm sorry, with all due respect to Michael Dell's Auto and, and his family, but I I don't care. Would he um, be
1: better than Nathan Bulju?
0: Ooh, maybe. But how about just playing six defensemen when you can? That's true. S- seems is is that, a, is that an option? Is is that allowed? I mean, anyway, I'm not if, even going to look up Michael Dell's Auto. I almost did it. I almost <laughs> looked up the stats.
1: I'm not doing it. <laughs> I almost felt. I think he's almost been, he's been in the AHL. Also.
0: It's hard. It's hard not to be better than than Nathan Bolio I'll say that. Although, according to the Ducks' social media account, they did the tiny mic thing after practice, and, apper- and apparently Nathan Bolio is one of the better soccer players in the team. The prompt was, "Who's the best soccer player in the team?" Him and Lundestrom were popular picks. So
1: lundestrom is i don't know if european plays any factor in so that, silverberg sure.
0: got some votes as well okay. so yeah
1: maybe it's this the the european but, connection but Bol- Bolu is not european he's not
0: he's certainly not so maybe so, that that goes out the window there so anyway also happy second yes night yes of hanukkah wow i took a huge risk there what? The big reward. What do you, I? How is that I,
1: a risk? Legitimately, I wasn't the,
0: sure if it was second, third. First. I'm pulling
1: the curtain back for everyone. I like ten minutes ago, as Felix and I were talking before we went live, said, "Yeah, happy second night of Hanukkah to Felix." Oh, did you say second? I didn't even. I did. I, I didn't did. Even register. Okay, I said
0: second. Well, I guess maybe my my subconscious picked it up. Anyway, there you so go. <laughs> this is this is a great start. <laughs> So we're gonna talk here about the fact that the Ducks picked up two their second regulation win of the season against Montreal last week, and then their third regulation win of the season against Edmonton. So two back to back wins, two wins in regulation. Jake, let me ask you this. Are you are you looking into playoff ticket prices yet?
1: Oh yeah I mean, you know why I'm looking at the playoff ticket prices. It's not these two wins, it's the fact that they got Michael Delzado back. Why? why can we
0: can we like establish a moratorium on Michael Delzato references for the next, <laughs> I don't know podcast? Okay. Oh, so man. we should we should talk about these wins though because yes. there hasn't been a lot of winning to talk about this season. There hasn't oh. been a lot of winning to talk about in, in regulation. So it, it warrants some discussion. It warrants oh. looking at how they did it, why they did it, who the key players
1: were. And I think that should that should give us a show, especially because of the fact that they're kind of very two polar opposite type of games in terms of how they played out. And I think they both have not implications long term, but they both kind of show you the different ways that you can win a game. And one is potentially a very sustainable way for this team. And one's not at all. And so I think it's important to kind of look at them and say, essentially, take almost like a lessons learned from them. As a fan, in terms of looking, or instead of un, in terms of understanding what to look for moving forward. Yeah, and I think that we should start with the Montreal
0: game because that was the that was the first game of this. Is it a winning streak when you win back to back games,
1: or is it only a streak if you're at three? You know, with the Ducks' season so far,
0: let's call it a streak. We're calling this a streak. The Ducks are going streaking. So yeah. the Ducks win five two against the Canadians, a game that I was pumped for, pumped to watch. And uh, my Montreal Canadiens did not deliver, shockingly. But there was a whole lot of good to take away from this game. And this was a game where the Ducks did control at 5-on-5. But I want to start here. First goal of the game, maybe the prettiest goal I've seen the Ducks score, I don't know, at least this season. You could even maybe say all of last season. A very just kind of picture-perfect power play goal The kind of setup that we've seen this team really go to as of late and what's really spearheaded this turnaround with the man advantage you have mason mctavish on that right flank on his off-wing one-timer threat you have trevor zegris on the left flank who's on a strong side and then troy terry who's kind of just roaming goal line sometimes bumper and fowler at the top and henrik in that bumper slot so mason mctavish one time he basically did the kucherov pass to trevor zegris a one-time slap pass shot pass whatever you want to call it perfectly across the royal road as they call it across the slot all the way over to trevor zegris who then collects it gathers the puck scans the ice and puts it perfectly on troy terry's tape and all troy terry has to do is basically get a stick on it and it goes into the net i just i don't know i don't think i've ever seen as perfect of a goal from this ducks power play in in a long long time and and i think that what's what's exciting about this power play is not only are you getting moments like these but the numbers show that it is in fact good and it feels sustainable like these are your three best players that are getting it done and then these are guys who are presumably going to be around for for years to come
1: yeah exactly and I think what's nice to see is that at least even though we obviously have all of our critiques about the coaching staff there, there's plenty more to come in the future on this podcast even. Um, but, but I think they deserve credit for the changes that they made because there are distinct changes um, with how this pot with, uh, with how this power play uh was running uh, previously to now how it is now. The fact that you have John Klingberg no longer on that first unit, you have Cam Fowler there and, to be quite honest cam Fowler really fits what they're trying to do more he's not trying to shoot the puck always he's moving the puck distributing a bit more than what john klingberg is a bit more known to do mm-hmm. um and you have the the clear change in putting mason mctavish on the right side right flank and putting Trevor egress on his strong side flank moving troy terry below the goal line to where he's able to really take advantage of uh of the defenders and really make Smart moves by if he draws guys in, that leaves someone open in the slot. That leaves Trevor Zegers open, maybe Mason McTavish. There's a lot of lanes that go open. And I think the other thing that is really fascinating about it is I don't know if I've necessarily seen this specific setup at all where there's not really a full bumper and there's not really a full net net front. It's kind of a, a moving target with, uh, with where Adam Henrique is in that moment. And Troy Terry is just basically set up below the goal line. I don't know if I've ever seen a power play that does that as their strategy. And I think that type of unpredictability is something that is very good for this power play. And here's the thing. If they're able to key in on it, there's a lot of options for movement off of that. And that was something you, you kind of look back to that podcast you and I did where we kind of broke down the power play in depth. And, say, and you came up with the great idea of moving Trevor Zegers off his weak side to put him on his strong side, where he's able to move the puck, make some more good looks. And I mentioned even putting him below the goal line because he's probably one of the most dangerous person. <laughs> um, dangerous cross goals. Yeah, like dangerous persons below the goal line. Um, and um, it, it's just something that the, these changes that we were kind of talking about, it, it's really nice to kind of see them come into action and really find success. And... Um, it's a it's just something that's really nice to see. It's the fact that they become this dangerous unit. The fact that um, they have the ability to move the puck in very different ways and hurt you in very different ways. And so um, overall, this is probably one of the biggest pluses from this coaching staff this season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about, you know, Henrik and Terry kind of being a little unpredictable in the middle. I don't know. Maybe that was just a product of that play, but you might be onto something there because even in the game against Edmonton, they weren't they weren't perfectly sticking like they weren't rigid about no. the the sides that McTavish and Zegris are on. Like mm-hmm. at one point, Zegris was back on the right side, McTavish mm-hmm. was on the left side, and even that's if that actually w-
1: what set up one of the goals with McTavish's passes uh, to Fowler.
0: Yeah, exact. Yeah, exactly. He he made a nice little kind of shot fake, and then the. A drop pass to fowler mm-hmm. and i think that just that kind of level of variability is great too because in the in the modern nhl with scouting and and video analysis like teams are going to catch on to you quickly and it as good as the ducks have been like they don't have the kind of elite talent quite yet where a team despite knowing exactly what they're going to do just can't stop it and so it happened enough times during that game where it wasn't just like a one-off situation they did it a couple times where i think that they are trying to implement a level of unpredictability to their game Um, and i mean this this is going to go to a this is going to go to a larger point that we're going to get to here but i really just think that what kind of makes all of this work is the fact that all of a sudden mason mctavish is looking like a legitimate top six nhl center to me I feel like so, that's that's like the biggest takeaway maybe of all of this.
1: So you're telling me that playing Mason McTavish in his natural position, playing him and giving him more ice time in an elevated role, and he's starting to show that he can play in the, that spot? Shocked. So yeah. Absolutely shocked. I, By the way. I, I, I do want to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. I'm going to look up. There, there's a quote from uh, Eric Stevens article from him that I think I really yeah. read. Yeah um that it's just it it really kind of blows my mind a little bit that the amount of overthinking that happens at times with guys that are on the wing (laughs) or centers putting them on the wing i do want to point out though
0: that to your point about john klingberg and his presence on the power play it's a little unfortunate that these successes aren't coming with him on the power play i do think that because fowler is just kind of a distributor and he's not really absolutely looking to shoot that it allows those forwards to get to work and really kind of dominate the puck possession. I think that the most power, the most dangerous power plays, I feel like, tend to run through the forwards, through the flanks. But I think if you're the Ducks, though, you do want to find a way to incorporate John Klingberg into that top unit. I, I just, as great as Cam Fowler is, and as well as he's worked in that role, I think ultimately... And now this is completely splitting hairs. Like, this is not a critique at all about yeah. the actual power play. It's just saying that John Klingberg looks a lot better as of late. He's scored three goals in those last two games. And, hey, if you have designs of trading him at the trade deadline, kind of makes sense to get him on that top unit. And with the understanding, you know, you can have this conversation with him that, hey, don't look to force shots. You can get your offense with these guys out there, but just don't do it and kind of break up that flow and that chemistry that they've been establishing. I feel like there's
1: the way that they can get there. All right, here is the quote. Uh, this is from the Eric Stevens article today. It said It's from Mason McTavish, or a quote from McTavish saying, my goal obviously is to play center in this league. Whether it was now or in the future, that's kind of what I always wanted to do. That's my natural position. I don't mind playing wing two, but obviously I feel like I'm more comfortable down the middle. I just can kind of control the game a little bit more down there. Just touch the puck and kind of support it around all three zones. I definitely like to play center more. And, like, you, you hear that quote though, right? And we talked about it so much at the beginning of the season that you watch him in his own zone and just, he looked uncomfortable as a winger and didn't necessarily know where he should be as a winger, didn't, and and would float low, kind of leaving the point high and that kind of led to some, uh, some chance or sometimes where the Ducks would get hemmed in their own zone because he would not be in the right position, lead to extended zone time, uh, yada, yada, yada. And, And so it's just, you hear that quote and it's just like, how is a coach that is supposed to be a development type coach, right? That is touting the development side of things now also right like that's what paver saying that's what dallas akins is saying and i i'm just very confused when i hear that quote that why does that not make it to a coaching staff and now granted he's now there and he should yeah. stay there just like trevor zegris and so this is this is a little bit of crying over spilled milk and especially <laughs> because of the fact that you and i both agree that Dallas Akins is probably not going to be here next season. Yeah. So this, this this doesn't really matter. But it's just more so the overall kind of – I think this is an overall hockey opinion, right, that Dallas Akins has of yeah. having guys come in and they should play the wing because less responsibility, everything like that. And I don't think there's enough said about the fact that let guys play their natural position. This They've made it to this, this league for a certain reason because they play that position. It's actually funny. I don't know if you read the full article or not, but Max Jones had an interesting quote, actually. Uh, that really stuck out to me uh, about, um, about Mace McTavish. And he kind of said development wise, just let him do his thing. We've been playing hockey our whole lives, minor fixes here and there. Yeah. But I just don't think you need to change a hockey player. There's no reason to change someone. He was drafted the way he was and the way he plays. There's no reason to change him. No reason to tell him he needs to play differently.
0: Yeah. I mean, Max Jones is, uh, is speaking for everyone here where, yeah, just let guys play their natural positions let them play to their strengths. And there's ways to work around if you think it's going to be a tough transition. I mean, look at what the Ducks are doing with Trevor Zegris still. Mm-hmm. Trevor Zegris has not taken the majority of the faceoffs on his own line, a line in which he is the center on, right? Yeah. It, it just kind of goes to show that there's ways to mitigate these kind of weaknesses. I mean, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to have Trevor Zegris not taking the majority of the faceoffs. Like, if, if the idea is to develop him long-term, he should probably be getting the lion's share of them. That being said, though, I don't think face-offs matter anyway,
1: so I'm not going to make a, yeah, a big stink and, over and, that. And, and I think f- at the end of the day, face-offs are a little bit overrated from the perspective of deciding who's a center and who's not. Sure well, the- that's the thing. I, I, I yeah. think it's an easy it's way just to more.
0: Do- it, it just more shows the coach's opinion about what he can do.
1: Well, and it's an easy way to determine who's the center, typically, on the line with who takes the faceoff. But at the end of the day, it's who's down low, who has the puck more coming up the ice, who's more in the center ice as they're leading the rushes, things like that. That That's more so where Travis Egress excels. And so if he was more so on the wing coming up and not going to be down low at times, that would be a bit more of a concern. And to be honest, him and Henrique kind of swap who's low and who's high in the zone and the D yeah. zone. And so that makes sense. And but, so, but, but that's the I, whole I, point is just yeah. that
0: even if a guy is at center, it doesn't mean that he has to take on all of the responsibility mm-hmm. right away. And anyway, like we talked about this in the Patreon, but that's kind of where I'm at with uh, Dallas Atkins is I'm almost just kind of done critiquing him because I just don't see a path for him to return after this season. So it's almost like, let's talk about something else. Um, but anyway, in this Canadian game, yeah. though, the, the Ducks look good. I thought that they didn't play amazingly well, that you know the Canadians played pretty poorly. But for a team that has struggled so badly this season, for the Ducks to look as good as they did, it's a positive development no matter how you want to spin it.
1: Yeah, it's 100% a positive development. Because especially if we had to pinpoint, right, what's the uh, number one issue for the Ducks this season, what would it be?
0: Uh, defending. Okay. Controlling the puck. Whatever you want to, however
1: you want to frame that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. This was the Ducks' absolute best game from a defensive perspective. They only allowed 1.27 expected goals against over the course of the game. Yeah. Um, that is a season low for them. The next lowest was 1.77 against Ottawa, uh, back. I think that was the thing day after Thanksgiving game, maybe where they allowed a bunch of goals, but defensively they actually weren't horrible. But, I mean, there are plenty of games this season where they are well above two into the threes and one game where they're in the fours mm-hmm. um, in terms of expected goals against. So the fact that they were able to keep the, the Canadians down to 1.27, that kind of goes to show that that they were really on top of their game in their own zone. Part of that may be the Canadians, like you said, not executing, but the Ducks do deserve some credit for being able to be a little bit more stout in their defensive zone and really protect Lucas Dostal. Because Dosto yep. got shelled against the Canadians, uh, the oil- the not the Canadians, the not the Oilers, the the Maple Leafs. He got oh, shelled. Yeah. Like he he was not getting protected very much. Yeah, we won't and talk about those games. Those
0: no. those games just didn't happen. No, they
1: didn't. And <laughs> and so on the offensive side, things weren't as rosy either. It, it, like they only generated two expected goals for. But if you're limiting the other team to under one and a half, getting two still puts you in the you're getting more than the other team. And so they were in a really good spot. And obviously the standout performance from this game is Mason McTavish. Just yes. The, the numbers he was able to produce. And the fact that he's doing it with his line mates. I mean, in this game, well, I believe he, he played Contour. with Contois this game. Yeah. Yep. And they and yep. they look good together. And and I would really, really like to see someone other than Brett Leeson on that line. But, <laughs> I mean, at least he's with someone uh, that can actually finish the puck that he can move the puck to.
0: Yeah. I thought that this was also a great game for Contois. This was probably one of his better games this season Just from an eye test perspective he was actually handling the puck he was getting through the neutral zone he was making plays down low and he showed a chemistry with mason mctavish that i think kind of makes sense because mctavish is such a creator and he's such a he's just kind of he's got his fingers in in every every situation he's he's everywhere and and colt the kind of guy who's just kind of hanging around waiting to pounce on those opportunities and he's got that finishing touch so We'll see if that chemistry continues to develop or if they'll even get the chance to, to continue to develop it. But that was also an encouraging sign from this game. And yeah, like outside of that, you know, the the performance wasn't all that amazing, but just kind of getting these little pockets of, of positive play. And we haven't even talked about Lucas Dostal yet. We'll get to him probably more about we get to Edmonton game. But. Yeah. Just a just a positive, kinda normal well, win, which the when, Ducks haven't yeah. been able to conjure much when, of this
1: season. When you're dealing with a season like the Ducks have had, where it's rare for them to get more chances than the other team. <laughs> the fact that they were able to do it, the fact that they were able to get a regulation win. The fact that they were do it were able to also, while blowing what was it, a two nothing lead in this game that they had? And they, yeah. they blew they blew a two nothing lead and allowed it to get tied, then were able to take the, the three two lead and eventually get two empty netters, I believe. To make it a five two final. And so mm-hmm. this was a game where the ducks did get counterpunched. Like it's not like this was a, a dominant performance from top to bottom. They which granted this team's probably not gonna have. They th- they there did adverse
0: there was a little luck on both sides, I would say. Like the Canadians yeah. uh, second goal was a kind of a disbalance off the end boards, and Klingberg's second goal was just this kind of errant point shot that somehow beat Jake Allen. So there was a little randomness on both sides too. It yeah, wasn't,
1: it wasn't like a perfect clean. Yeah, but result. where where I'm going with this is, we'll get into the Edmonton game. But this was a game where the Ducks took the lead. They didn't fully sit back on it, and when they did get scored on, they didn't necessarily collapse from that perspective and, and start getting shelled. They got themselves back into the game and played a good game overall. and yeah. and, and dealt with the ebbs and flows that come in a game. You're not going to dom- like even the best teams in the league. They're not going to dominate a whole sixty minutes. That's just no. not possible. Um, and so you have to be able to p- punch and counter punch, like that. That's yeah. how it works in this league. And so I think that this was a really good example of that for the ducks. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else on, on this game? Uh, nope. I mean, second regulation one for the ducks on the season, um, doubled their total. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's that actually, it was their sec. It was their third time leading after two periods mm-hmm. of, of the entire season. They have not led for very much this year five on five. I was looking just at insane. <laughs> I was looking at the the score state charts per uh, on hockey viz, and they've I mean, they've been down one for three hundred and twenty five minutes, tied for six hundred minutes, down two for one hundred and eighty nine minutes, down three or more for two hundred and six minutes, they've been up one for hundred and seventy eight minutes, up two for fifty one minutes. Oh my god. So yeah. most of the time's been tied at least. Yeah, but there you go. There's this positive spin. I mean, it goes tied, down 1, down 3 or more, down 2, then up 1 and then up 2, and they've never been up by 3 or more. Oh my gosh. That's, that's wild to think about that the Ducks have never been up by Well, that's at 5 on uh, I'm No, they won that I don't know. The Montreal okay. game was up by 3 technically at the end, but it was empty netters. Yeah. So,
0: okay. Well, I think we have just enough time here to cover the the Edmonton game. Yep. So, this was a tale of two games, should we call it that? A tale of two halves. A a tale of one period and two two other periods. A tale of one and a half periods. (laughs) So, first period, I thought that the Ducks played a good, they played a good period, I would say. Like, on balance, they, the the, the two standout moments, like, to me, this was, the first period was the Mason-McTavish party. As yes. the game went along, it became the Lucas Dostal party. But the, f- the first goal of the night for Anaheim, the pass by Mason McTavish to set up a Sam Carrick tap-in. Oh, oh, boy. It's just like there's something about a really nice assist that just kind of hits a little different than a really nice shot or a really nice goal. The fact that Mason McTavish, and you, you wrote about this in your article, like the fact that he came in, kind of observed, analyzed, and assessed situation and had the opportunity to shoot. Like he could have taken
1: a, a very dangerous, defensible like, shot. That's what the coaching staff probably is would say. Pucks is, on net. Pucks like, on I, net. If Keep that, it simple. If, if that puck doesn't go in by Carrick, I guarantee the coach and the broadcast would have been like, Oh, he's overpassing. He's overpassing. They're trying to pass the puck into the back of the net. You got. You just got to put the puck on net. Yeah
0: but it was the layering of skills and decisions that really made that so special because he knows he's a shot threat. He does a little shot fake to open up the the passing angle, holds onto it a little longer threads it underneath the defender stick to Sam Carrick, who has a wide open net, like Sam Carrick could have scored and then probably pulled the puck back out and scored again. Like that's how much time he had to do it. And it was just, it was just everything that I think we're learning about Mason McTavish, which is just that, a very skilled player, but just so smart. Like just everything he does, it just always feels like he's just a step or two
1: ahead of the other of the other players on the ice. We talk about Trevor Zegers a lot, right? With with sending out misinformation. That, that that's one of his number one uh, strengths in this league is he's constantly sending out misinformation to defenders to really throw them off, so that he when he eventually makes the move he wants to make, they don't know that it's coming. That's what this play really reminded me of with mason mctavish because here's the thing with that play he comes and i've watched the goal a couple times when i broke it down a little bit put the video in the article that i did and he comes in he's able to get the pass really actually nice play by jason Mag- magna um is able to get oh, the oh wow puck off the- jason <laughs> magna shout out i know G- gets the puck off the wall who's and- by the way a duck now yeah did, did-, did that happen over the- i don't even uh, yeah. the last week is a blur for me to be honest um and, and yeah, so same. makes the makes the pass to mason mctavish who's coming in with speed And McTavish makes a little stutter step that freezes. I can't remember who the Oilers defender was that he freezes, but he takes a little stutter step that almost looks like a shot that freezes the Oilers defender. And that makes it so it opens up the lane to the left. And he goes to that. And here's the thing. If Darnell nurse stays with, uh, with Sam Carrick on the back post that then leaves Mason McTavish free to go in on a one-on-one basically on the goalie. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's frozen the Oilers defender, the Oilers defender's on the back foot. He's going to easily be able to get him around, get around him. He was able to recognize, and this is all while, if you watch his head, he never looks. He never turns his head and looks at Sam Yeah, never telegraphs it. Darnell Nurse commits to him because he's frozen that defenseman. He come, he, uh, Nurse comes over to help, realizes that might be the higher threat. And McTavish, all in this play, and this all is happening in the span of what? a second or two yeah
0: it's like he's able to second is span. able
1: to identify that the space is there for the pass the shot is now not going to be as dangerous because darnell nurse is coming over he has both oilers defenders committing to him and that's left sam carrick on the back hope back post and no look feeds it to to sam carrick on the back post who's able to finish it and so these are just the high skilled type of plays where i guarantee if you asked mason about it I don't know if he could break it down in terms of recognizing all those things. But I'm it's sure just, he could. Honestly, it's possible. I, I actually believe he could. Based on, I'm his just quotes. more saying that these yeah. are all the the quick decisions that yeah. he's making. That in the he's, moment, he's not like yeah. I get like what he you're get, he can remember and like say yes, that's what I meant to do. That's what I was planning to do. But these are when you're in the moment, you're not. You can't take a second to think. It's all reactionary. Yeah, and those types of things can't be taught in terms of being able to read the play, understand the situation. That is what hockey IQ essentially means: is being able to read that situation and have that. Well, fast I think they can it. be, I think they can be taught, but
0: it's another thing to actually implement the teachings. And that's the thing with McTavish: is that he's that's got fair. it all. He's that's able. Fair. He's able to study the film, yeah. and then go and, out there and recognize, oh, this is that situation. I was. Studying,
1: or, or and what so this you. was just this was just a high skilled play that really made me go ah, because last season he obviously tore up the OHL. But yeah. There's only so much you can do there, and this was the play where he's obviously had some really good games. Obviously the Montreal game we talk about it, we talk about all these different things about how he's able to really impact the play, impact the game, and really move the puck in transition, have these strong games. But this was the first moment where I was like oh, there's the high skill that a lot of people were talking about last yes. year. Yes. There, there is that play. There is that thing. There, There is that situation that you can't necessarily teach completely, That, and this is the reason why he was taken third overall. These types of plays. Yes.
0: I think that that's a great point. And you saw it even on the, the Fowler goal in that first period mm-hmm. where he, he loads up on his forehand. He's on his strong side that time. This is on the power play. And, you know, more of a routine play, but still a smart play dumps it off. Draws well, he soaks, that he soaks up the pressure
1: and knows, knows, knows that there's an oiler on his hip, which leaves an open man.
0: Yeah, because like with Trevor Ziegris, we saw it within the first three games of him in, being in the NHL of why, like that, aha, this is why he's an NHLer. Yeah. But with McTavish, it's taken a little time, and I think that I didn't expect it to come this way because all we ever heard about in Junior was his shot and his one-timer and that big – like even the draft night or going into the draft – I don't know if it was Bob Murray or someone saying, oh, he can shoot it through a car door. You know, everyone, that line got repeated at least 17 times. Yeah. And I think that it's it's almost even more encouraging that we haven't really seen that from him yet. He's starting to get his one-timer off on the power play. But it's harder to, like, if you're scoring on a big shot in junior, like, beating junior goalies is different than beating NHL goalies, right? You're shooting it past these goalies. They just can't handle that level of speed. You could see it in his junior film, but the fact that he's actually impacting the game in a way where he's not overpowering, but instead overpowering with, overpowering physically, but instead overpowering with his mind, I think that that just, that's so encouraging because now you just, you the possibilities are starting to expand of, of how he can impact the game. So it's very exciting. It's yeah. I, I, we're, we're gushing over it, but I think it's, it's well-deserved. And I think that that's why, even though this season has been such a, a misery for the ducks at times, like those moments of seeing, a, especially like a player like McTavish come into his own, it just makes it worth following. You want to see how it unfolds, what these players be- become.
1: Yeah. And uh, so we'll jump into more of this game. Cause that, yeah. that basically covers the first period, right? There. Yeah. The, the that was, ducks- that was the, that was the tale of the first the the game. Ducks played a good period. It was a little bit of a low event period. It ended ended up being what was it point eight two expected goals four in all situation to 0.68 in all situations. So overall relatively low, uh, low event even if it resulted in a two to one uh, score. But before we get into the rest of the game, let's have a bit, uh, brief word from our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Seven One Four Tickets. So we're all excited for the hockey season. Also, it's the holiday season, and you know what would make a great gift for someone, Felix? It would be tickets. Yes. Because who doesn't want to go to a Ducks game to see everything that we've talked about with Mason McTavish, Trevor Zegers. Like, even with how the team has been, this is still a fun team to watch in person. There's some high-skilled plays that are going to happen. It's honestly worth the price of admission, even in a losing season, to go see Trevor Zegers, to go see Mason McTavish. Or if you want to go to any other sporting event, 714 tickets has you absolutely covered. And, um... And that's where I mean. This is where Seven One Four Tickets comes in. They're a locally owned ticket company in Anaheim that never charges you taxes or service fees, unlike StubHub or Ticketmaster. And for those of you that do pay attention, uh, to those the fees news, are those fees are rough. to the news. Whether you've been trying to get tickets like me to go see Blink Twenty Two, whether all the Taylor Swift stuff. Those, uh, those fees are not fun to deal with. And 714 tickets does not charge those for you. And they're also located right in front of Honda center. And, but they also have a website, 7114tickets.com where you can earn 5% back in rewards on every online purchase. So let's recap, recap, you get to see your favorite team play, or you can gift these tickets to someone also for, to see the ducks play, to see whoever they want to play. Uh, and you pay no fees And you can earn rewards back for future purchases. It sounds like a no-brainer to me. So shop your Ducks tickets or any tickets at 714tickets.com or stop by their office for a more personal feel. You can check them out and use the promo code CTP to get 10% off your purchase. Um, Thank you so much, 714tickets. Please go check them out. And I guess I'll just do this. 714tickets, 714tickets. There you
0: go. I, I, I was thinking about doing that, but I'm glad... I'm glad you took the ball and, and ran with it. You know, that's what I'm here for. Support a local business. Like yes. This, this, this is your moment. Everyone talks about it. Now go out and do it. Okay. Yep. Uh, let's talk about the rest of this game. So the Ducks got a lead, got excited. The Oilers got down, got excited to come back. And those energies led to drastically divergent uh, styles of play.
1: Oh, boy. Let's the o- the
0: Oilers turned it on, poured it on, and the Ducks kind of sat back. They just accepted a, it. They just kind of took it. And it was a bit rough to watch. And, you know, there was some, well, actually commentary on Twitter of, oh, well, look, you know, they're they're actually keeping things to the outside and blah, blah. They were not. They were not. The the Oilers were carving them up defensively. They were getting into the slot. And you know why you could look at it and say that it wasn't that bad or why people might even conjure up that argument? Because Lucas Dostal made 46 saves on 49 shots and looked absolutely amazing in this game. Like, this is no hyperbole. That was one of the best goaltending performances I've seen. Period. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. it, it was probably
1: the best performance the Ducks have had this season from goaltender. And, and so, really briefly, just to add some con- some context to this uh, this game. So the Ducks went up three to one, right? Ryan Strom. We haven't really talked about this yet, but Ryan Strom goes in on a breakaway after being able to pick off a pass. The Blue line is able to bury it. Yeah, nice after play, Westrom. After that, the Ducks. Let's see. At the time of that goal, <laughs> let me let me turn off score adjustment here, just so we can just be level with with shot attempts. At the point of that goal. The Ducks had taken 29 shot attempts for at the time there. They ended the game with 38 shot attempts. (laughs) That means they took nine shot attempts. And that goal, by the way, came at with 1129 left in the second period. So there was over half the game left. And the Ducks took nine shot attempts while they had previously taken 29. Nine shot attempts. Yeah, not just shots on goal.
0: Nine shot attempts in
1: half a game is like not a lot either. From an expected goals perspective, they were at 1.32 at the time of that goal. They ended the game at 1.65. The Oilers, on the other hand, at the time of that goal, were sitting at 29. They were also at 29 shot attempts for. So the same amount as the Ducks. Want to guess where the Oilers ended up? I know you've looked at this. I don't think you have it open, but guess where the Oilers ended up? Like seventy eight. 82. Oh, my. I was close. Wow. 82 shot attempts. <laughs> that means that over that period and a half, the Ducks allowed 53 shot attempts. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. To have that low amount for and that high against or high amount against, it's a minor miracle. The Ducks only allowed two goals. Well, the the miracle has a name and its name is Lucas
0: Dostal. Um Yeah. Well, yeah. here's here's the deal. Here's the deal on this. The Ducks are the worst defensive team in the NHL. The Ducks never lead as we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And the Oilers are not a great team, but they have highly highly talented players and you factor in the score effect situation and this was just a perfect perfect storm. Like you you could have probably predicted that it would go this way. And and yes, I don't know if
1: you would have predicted it going. The thing is,
0: sure, sure. You could have said it's not, that the- it's not surprising that it played out this way is what I'm trying to say. Like, th- like this is kind of par for for what I would expect from a team that's been so bad at five on five. This season. I'm so su- I'm surprised that this team got nine shot attempts in a period and a half. I think it's it's a combination to me of the fact that they are so deficient at five on five as it is mm-hmm. and the fact that they are not well coached like it's yeah. both yeah it's both and and, and
1: and all those things work together i just well, and, I, and i guarantee that that probably the message from the coaching staff and, and the thing is it could have been a bunch of things it could be the players it could be the coaching staff but i i, I think with what long we know, road trip tail I, end I, of a road trip i know. think from what we know i guarantee the coaching staff was probably saying let's try to slow them down probably not sending guys in on the four check trying to really slow the game down and keep it back well also and, that oh sorry keep going yeah and, and the thing is all that does is that just allows constant pressure. And even if you're doing a decent job of keeping them to the outside, there's going to be a mistake that happens if you're constantly defending. We, it, It's funny. The broadcast actually brought this up, that when the Ducks are defending so much, that of course they're going to take penalties because they're constantly yeah. defending. The and Ducks, so even, start, I think, take the most penalties in the NHL. And so even if you keep guys to the outside, if you're constantly defending, you're putting yourself in a position to make mistakes. Well, you get mistake. tired. Yeah. You make, you make mental errors because you have less oxygen going yeah. to your brain. And, and so you said it best, though the reason why they were able to to weather the storm and come out of this game with the win was due to Lucas Dossel Number and Lucas one, Dossel, Lucas dosol alone. And you look at that game, and there are two saves that really stand out right away. Um, there's the one on... And Ugh. they came uh, pretty close to each other, I think a couple minutes ab- apart from each other in the third period. But Leon Dreisaitl has a one-timer on the power play that starts. And the Oilers end up scoring on this power play on the five-on-three that, that ensues after this. But it's a play where McDavid is able to feed the puck across the crease or, uh, across the world road to, to Leon Dreisel. and granted, he's a little bit high, maybe high face-off dots, but he gets, he one-times it, and Dossel just makes the, like, smoothest slide over, and gets his glove in a position, and I mentioned this on the, the Patreon episode we did on the weekend, but that save, and just the fact that it looks so nonchalant, really is so impressive when you re-watch it, because the fact that Dossel's out at the top of his crease, and is able to read the pass and slide over with such a strong first push. And it's not off the post. It's not off of off of someone else. It's just a first push off the ice. Is able to slide so calm, cool, and collected. Where he's able to make sure he reads the shot and gets his glove into position. And the fact that he's able to do that without sprawling. Without putting himself in a weird position. Where it, he's essentially staying in control the entire time. That type of save off that type of shot is so impressive.
0: Yeah. That save was... Like you said, so impressive. The fact that, the fact that he did it. I mean, you couldn't ask for a worse scenario if you're a goalie. Mm-hmm. You have Connor McDavid slicing in on one side, gets it perfectly across. Your 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 defense has done nothing to to stop that or slow that down. And Leon Saddle gets all of this shot. And like you said, maybe he's a little far out, but Dostal just calmly gets across. And there was a lot of net for for Drysdale to shoot at but Dostal was there and he had his head moving, his arms were free and relaxed from his body and he was able to just pick the puck out of the air like it was nothing and it wasn't nothing like the, that the ability to make that save against those all-world talents is something that's only cultivated through years and years of of diligent training and also ability and talent and so for Dostal to make that save just like you, you can't you can't like You can't make that save by accident. Like that is just a legit save. And he would go on to make many others in this game. But that was kind of a wow moment for me. Almost like in a way what we were talking about earlier with McTavish and the assist he had uh, on the carrot goal. It was just like, okay, I I knew this guy was a good prospect, but now I'm seeing it live in front of me. And it's exciting. Like it's just so exciting to see a young player start to make his mark at, at such a high level.
1: Yeah, and there were a couple other saves in this game. I think a notable one is Zach Hyman cutting through the crease, and he's able to really push <laughs> yeah. off the post. Push off the post, get his leg to stop the the first shot, and then Hyman is able to get the rebound, and he's able to really sprawl over and, and get on that. And the thing that was impressive there is just his ability to push off the post. And, I mean, just his pushes in general, just, just yeah. how smooth he is and how uh, he's not out of control when he does it. He's, But he doesn't um, – it's not like he's waiting too long on it either. And I think he's, he's just, just got really that playing. timing down. He's yeah. got the timing down and he almost, uh, cause that's the thing with, with being a goalie is it's all about that push. And if you do it too much and push too strong, you're going to take yourself out of position. And it's yeah. really a timing situation. And well, it's, es- it's es- fascinating es- to watch, especially on that save the Hyman save where he,
0: he, he makes the initial, sa- the initial save and he makes it look r- rather routine, but then there's a rebound and he just sprawls out and gets his arm down perfectly. And now this is a desperation save. This is this is one of those saves where you kind of throw out the rules a little bit, you know, you're scrambling, mm-hmm. but there's still an art to it. He's still in control. He's still able to get there and show off some athleticism in the process. I mean, it was hard not to look at that save and not think about uh, a countryman of Lucas Dostal a Dominic Hasek because it was a similar kind of sprawled out desperation save. And I'm sure he's he's looked at a few Hasek highlights in his day. So all in all, though, the thing with Dostal and what makes him so good is that he doesn't need to make those saves very often, at least in what we've seen so far. And what we've heard about him is that those saves are the exception to the rule. More often than not, he's very in control, very smooth on his feet
1: and just reading the play and tracking the puck. It really reminds me of Freddie Anderson when he broke into the league, and and while a little bit different because Anderson obviously was was a bit bigger, being what six four, six five. Different, different, different bodies, but similar styles. Yeah, yeah, and it's very interesting the contrast between him and like a John Gibson, for instance, where (laughs) John Gibson is a guy that his positioning might not always be the best, but he has the athletic ability to make up for it. Um, docile all about that, that positioning and that that's really what drives his game. And that was the same thing with Freddie Anderson. I remember it was such an interesting contrast when, when both Anderson and Gibson were the ducks goalies, cause they were just so distinctly different. Uh, yeah. On th- all th- there's just something fun about seeing a new goalie
0: and kind of, cause goalies can, most goalies play a similar style. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, most goalies play almost it's the not exact like, same
1: way. It's not like you have butterfly versus standup. Yeah, man. How fun would it be if we still had up goal? Remember, remember when the whole like description of goalie was like, he's a butterfly goalie. Yeah. You remember like 10, 15 years ago. It <laughs> oh, yeah. was like, that was something Brian Hayward always harped on was like, he's a butterfly goalie. So you got to shoot high. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was playing goalie way back in the day, you know, 15 years ago or whatever.
0: There was like butterfly, stand up, and hybrid, right? Yeah. Like that was a yeah, big yeah, deal. Yeah, if you yeah, were a hybrid yeah, yeah. goalie, yeah, yeah, yeah. even in the NHL games, like you could make your goalie be a hybrid <laughs> yep, goalie. Yep, yep. And nowadays, like no one even thinks about that anymore. It's like there is—I would say every goalie is a quote-unquote hybrid goalie now. But despite that, there's going to be little wrinkles in every in every one goalie's game, and it's going to make for some interesting conversation and viewing. And with Dostal, he's just so different from Gibson and, and so different from Stolars as well. That it's just it's it's fun to watch and does kind of beg the question, Jake. Like Lucas Dostal has had a 916 all the way through in the AHL. Anthony Stolars is a pending UFA. Are the stars aligning here eventually for for a move for a, a permanent promotion up to the
1: NHL for Dostal? Here, Here's the tough thing. The goaltending market's a weird one. It's strange, yes. Where There's not always a need for a goalie at the deadline, right? Mm -hmm. It's more so a situational thing, and it depends. Honestly, more so if a team has a goalie go down. Mm -hmm. Like, that is honestly when you see guys make moves for goaltending. And so, I'm going to be very interested if a team, for instance, let's say, I don't know, the Maple Leafs. (laughs) One of their goalies go down. And honestly, the Maple Leafs could probably use Stoller's even if they don't go down. right. Yeah, and I don't so, know if Matt Murray is who I'm trusting with Matt the... Murray and Ilya Samsonov. Yeah. Like yeah. not exactly gonna give you a lot of faith there. But yeah. I I think that this definitely makes Anthony Stolarz look a bit more expendable because I mean Lucas look, he looks NHL ready right now. He does. He does. And he's got the like the thing is this is a
0: small sample. Like this is a tiny yeah. sample. Yep, yep, yep. But he's he's been getting it done in the AHL and it and it's carrying over. And the thing with with Stolarz is that I just don't see how you can justify re-signing him beyond the season. Like as good as he's been for this team and as solid of a backup as he's been at times, the ducks have to eventually get Dostal up into the NHL and Cali Klang is over in Europe right now. I would imagine they want to get him into North American hockey at some point. So it just kind of makes sense. Like even if you ride it out with Stolars this season and you don't trade him, but you don't re-sign him. Like I just think at some point that this Dostal thing needs to happen. And I think...
1: The bigger question now. This is maybe getting too far ahead. But Wait, let's sorry. See- Let me just jump in very quickly on that that front. The yep. one thing that's a counter to that, right? Okay, is the fact that how much they play John Gibson, how much Dallas Aikens plays him. Yes, you don't have Lucas Dostal on the on the roster if he's just going to be riding back up and play ten games the rest of the season. Yes, and so and- that that is the argument for sending him back to the AHL and keeping Anthony Solers, and not necessarily looking to move him right now because you want Lucas Dostal to play games. That's more important him getting in yeah, the the line and playing games than sitting on the bench at the NHL.
0: But here's what I will say and this is what I was what I was getting at mm-hmm. and you you kind of you kind of predicted it is that I think that the way Dostal looks this is a perfect opportunity to go to a tandem, right? Like mm-hmm. if you once you eventually trade Stolars whenever that is or if you just don't re-sign him, when Dostal is eventually with this team, don't have him be a 20 game backup have him be like let's see a legitimate tandem between gibson and dostal and i think you you maximize both goalies in that way i i think that to your point it doesn't make sense for him to come up and just be uh, a guy who barely plays but i think that you have an opportunity here and this will take a a big shift within the organization yeah for and you know it might not be realistic to be argued you know to to see this happen but i think that that's what they should do is eventually get to that point where you have a near even split between Gibson and Dostal. I think that at that point, I, I want to see Gibson in a tandem because I think that that's where we've seen him not always at his best, but I think that that's where he can thrive now, just given all the miles he's got in his body.
1: Yep, I would agree with that. Uh, let's see. Uh, anything else from this game? No, I mean, it's... I think we kind of hit it. You know, it's
0: It was the McTavish show at first, then it became the Dostal show. I, I should also point out that John Klingberg did pick up another goal in the third period uh maybe not the most let's call it like a goal he he saw coming (laughs) I mean it was just another one of those kind of throwing the puck on net and it happened to get through but it's another good development for Klingberg personally and also a good development for his trade value I I don't really have a ton else to say on him there but it's just good to see that he's at least getting some production
1: yep definitely um yeah I, I think that's probably it for me on this game um oh um, Colton white was randomly sent down on a conditioning loan um, not oh. quite sure how that works because he just played yeah I have no clue because I feel like you can send a guy down on a conditioning loan if he has not played in a while um just to get him some ice time yeah he I, just I, played I, yeah like I think about like right Shane Wright was able to be sent down. Uh, to the AHL on a conditioning loan because he hadn't played a certain amount of games. Mm-hmm. And so, weird that Colton White was able to be. But he was sent down for on a conditioning loan to the goals. So, that happened. Yeah. So, Nathan Bolia's season just oh, fully boy. upon us. Oh, boy. All right. Want to get some questions? Yeah. Let's do that. All right. So... Actually, do you, we have two on YouTube, so let's just start there. Uh, yes, we're on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com slash Crash the Pawn, where you can subscribe, like our videos, uh, comment, everything like that. A lot of comments on the last video. Thank you, everyone. We are seeing all of them, especially you, Stingray, coming in for the second bite that says he bites because he loves. I did not feel the love. Okay. Hannah Trainer asks question from uh, her nine-year-old daughter, Ruby. Uh, who is your favorite current Ducks player? Favorite player? Well, just as a you know, like fan of the
0: game, watching these guys play, I don't think I get enough of. Uh, right now, it's probably Mason McTavish, just because I'm fascinated with his development. But as a rule of thumb, it's always Troy Terry. Just I, I can't get enough of watching that guy play.
1: Yeah, I think it's Troy Terry and Trevor Egress for me. I, I think it's hard to split between split. It's splitting hairs between the two of them. Cause they're both yeah. so good in their different ways. And that's, what's fun about these players is that they're so different. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they'll entertain you in different ways. And so I think from my perspective, the way that, that my taste in hockey has gone is sure. The physical aspect is there, but that's not necessarily something I come back for every game. It, it's fun. It's there. It is what it is for me. It's the high skill level plays. It, it's the stuff that you can't necessarily be taught that it, it's something that these guys just have ingrained with them and it's these kind of, they get you out of your seat moments with those plays. The ones that you have to almost do a double take on what happened and just the fact that that's something that special happened. And so both Trevor egress and Troy Terry do that. And that's for me is why they're my favorite players. And then Matt also asked, will you guys be watching much of the world juniors? I'm excited to see some of the 23 draft prospects and Nathan Gauthier. I'm not as high on him as other ducks fans, but definitely wanting to see wanting to be shown the light.
0: Yeah. So for Canada, they have
1: o- Olin Zellweger and Nathan Gaucher.
0: Yeah, and there's also Tyson Hines. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much he's gonna play. I'll probably watch a decent amount. I don't. I honestly haven't watched it very much in recent years. It's also kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to watch Hockey Canada in good faith these days. But you still mm-hmm. root for the actual players on the yep. ice. Um, but the Ducks, yeah, they don't really have, like, it, they don't really have the kind of. Guys like in years past with McTavish and Zegris, that I'm like, I feel like I almost have to watch. Olaf
1: Zellweger's close this year. Zellweger's probably in that realm. Yeah. 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 But like the yeah. fact with what he did in the summer world junior and the fact that this will be kind of his first real world junior where he can really take over games. Yeah. I, I think I'm really excited to see what he can do as the older guy in this group and really, yeah. really, I mean, it's essentially what Trevor Zegris did, right? In yeah. that final world junior. He was clearly the best player on the ice and the fact you look at what um you look at what he was able to do in the summer tournament and how he what he had the most points by a defenseman mm-hmm. in hockey canada history or something along those lines i yeah. forget the exact uh, exactly what it was but it was up there and, and seeing that and seeing what he can do i i'm really excited to see especially with the fact that he's not going to be on a power play with Connor bedard like it's going to be fascinating to watch yeah, another future Duck. So I guess we're, yeah. we're watching uh, we're watching many Ducks. Yeah, I guess Sasha Pashtojov didn't make Team USA. Yeah, not a real Duck in our Twitch said, how, how do you feel about the Pashtojov stuff on Team USA? I'm not too surprised. He didn't really get put in an elevated role and barely was used last, uh, last year in summer by Team USA. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I don't really know how to feel about it. He's kind of had an up and like he's still putting up points in junior. You and I covered this a bit on our Patreon episode, which if yeah. you want to hear us talk about our top 10 prospects on the Ducks, that was our last Patreon episode. Yeah. Good go, plug. go go check it out. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so let's get to questions though from our Discord. So and then we'll come back to Twitch. So Please, people, um, everyone, uh, or please everyone on the Twitch, throw a question and throw your questions there, and we'll get to them all. We'll kind of end with you to to finish off the show. Uh, save the best for last. Uh, so, literate gal said, "Why do the ducks?" And also YouTube, also you, if you have more questions, throw them in. Not discriminating yeah. against that. Yeah. Uh, literate gal, or sorry, Keedup Matt said, "Do you guys think the season would have gone a little differently if Ziegris's lacrosse goal wasn't overturned?"
0: <laughs> no <laughs> legitimately that did feel like a momentum swing i hate to I was, use the I word was momentum at, i was at that game i remember that going in and thinking oh my god we're back we're, we're yeah. back with exciting ducks hockey and then it was dashed
1: yeah uh, i don't think i don't think no. it actually makes a difference but man it would have given us a highlight the vibes, the, the, vibes. The, i mean the vibes depending on who you ask are still on point that's true exciting times in Duckland. <laughs> yes lyric cal asked why do the ducks duck and she said, honestly, will the Ducks ever trade uh, for someone the room likes? I think that means us slash the listeners, everything like that.
0: Well, we we liked the, uh, I guess it wasn't a trade, but we liked Poverbeek signings this summer.
1: Yeah, we liked the Michael
0: Delzato trade. I I don't think I could care less about the Michael Delzato trade. We liked the Michael this Delzato trade. This isn't even trade. a criticism of it. It's just like, you know. I'm, try- I'm trying to be better about not overanalyzing AHL moves. So, bring bring that leadership for Drew Hellison. Like I will just never forgive myself for having written like an article breakdown of the Alexander Volkov trade. A few oh years my! Ago. I will remember never... how much time we spent on that. Yeah, and it was just like I watched shifts of his. Like I remember we had Instat back then. And I remember going back and watching, and for those Instats, like a video platform where you can pull up players' shifts. And I remember yeah. going back and watching, and like. Running the I was just like, "Why?" Like in a that, hindsight, that was, why? that was
1: peak pandemic where we didn't have a whole lot other to that do. That was
0: just so, ugh, that was so bad. And now wait. Alexander Volkov is like four points or whatever in the KHL. So I'm trying to wait.
1: Shit, who did they trade f- for him? It why was Antoine I mean, Moran. There, there it is. There it is Max Comtois' best friend, future Jonathan Marchessault, according to some. Yeah, hasn't quite panned out that way. Nope. Uh, let's see. 91. plus said, predict what draft pick the Ducks will have once the lottery is said and done first i think it's got to be first yeah. no i mean let's yeah. say it's second yeah. it's still a great outcome i'm going i'm going first we're living in a, a world of hope and they're getting the first overall pick um <laughs> our good friend eric Stites ducks jaggernaut said now the ducks are stanley cup champions i think this is referring <laughs> to the fact that they've gotten uh 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 delzato uh does akins <laughs> get his flowers as a five-year extension how long before michael delzato gets called up uh
0: like he's playing a game for the Ducks this season. He's, there's, he's no, a, there's no there's no way that Akins is going to be able to resist not talking his boss into calling him up. The thing is is probably a vibes guy. I mean, he seems like he has a good time off the ice from yeah. all he he's made quite a few podcast appearances. Yeah. Uh, where he's talked about that, so yeah. seems like a vibes guy. Seems like a vibes guy um but
1: yeah, he's He's playing for the Ducks this season. I'm just oh, getting uh, out ahead oh, of it. Oh, what a, yeah. Oh yeah, not a real Ducks, He's in the locker room DJ. I think that's the biggest thing is uh is that you or me that that like that, okay. my, my cat in the background is she's scratching her
0: scratching See, herself. the thing is and she's I, got it. she's got a Christmas bell on. It's like a jingle as, bell.
1: Seeing as I have a child and a cat, I could not tell you if that was coming from me or from you. Yeah, potato potato. E- either way, um yeah, Michael Delzato's the locker room DJ, so he's gotta teach Drew Hellison how to really. Well, Kevin Shadkirk's the, the DJ, I think.
0: Anyway, so Shad- anyway, Shaddenkirk, this Shaddenkirk- is already this is too much.
1: <laughs> Shattenkirk's gonna get traded. They need to have a new locker. room well, DJ. he's a, he's
0: a he's a pending UFA. Del so, Zotto, oh, maybe
1: that's what this is setting up for. Delzato gets called up to be the new locker room DJ. We should honestly clip this because I feel like this has legit a potential of happening. Shadkirk traded created Delzato called up to just be the DJ. By is the that, way, the, Is that what's the, happening? By the way, the Ducks'
0: injured reserve list right now just—it's
1: it's a like, laundry list. It's a laundry list, yeah, and it's like important names. And they're still not even close to like the salary cap at all with this many injuries, and so no. they're not even—they're not even close to having any to use LTIR. No. no. Um, Jared said goalie pipeline has Gibson, Stolars, Dostal, and Klang. Dostal looks great, but how how ideally does Verbeek handle this pipeline from now to the trade deadline? Trade Stolarz. I don't... Yeah, I, I think that's around the deadline that happens, though. Yeah. I
0: think you need to get some value for Stolarz if, if there's a deal to be made. Yeah. Um, um, let's also, see. no no, Ole Eriksson Ek shout-out there. No, he's fallen off. Current, Roman Dur- current Ducks backup. No Roman Derney shout-outs? Get, he's getting
1: NHL checks. Is Roman yeah. Derney even in the organization? I, so? don't, I don't know. Whenever I hear Eriksson Eck I think of Derney also. I, I feel like Eriksson Ek, Derny, and Dot... Erickson Eck, Derny, and Dossel were all, all that like same class of like goalies coming into the season. I system. care more about Roman Derny than Jack Kopaka. I'll say that much. Wow. Shots fired at, at Green Bastard. Uh, uh, the, the Puff said, I stand corrected with the fact that the Ducks have two regulation wins now. Or the fact they have three, three now. Will there be more regulation wins? Yes. They, they might win. Like They're playing LA tomorrow night. Wait. What, was it the last podcast that we said over under on number of regulation wins? And we said under five? Yeah, we're under five and a we're half. eating crow massively. Uh, they just need two more. to. We said under five and a half was what it was. By the way,
0: uh, Roman Durney's playing in Slovakia now. There it he's, is. He's played seven games this
1: year. For those wondering, the Roman Derny stands. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, Isaac asked, we've seen flashes of a solid team. Where does it go and why does it disappear so often? I mean, flashes is like pretty generous. We've seen
0: blips. What's what's lower than a flash? I don't know. We, we've seen momentary uh, momentary evidence of good play. But honestly, the, the flashes have been so infrequent that I don't think it's surprising that
1: we don't see them that often. Coaching doesn't help. Coaching right. doesn't help. And then final question from Discord, and then we'll get to Twitch. Uh, hey, ODFlow said, and I don't know if you saw this, our good friend Lou, late arrival Lou. Late arrival Lou. That's what we're going to uh, dub him now. Late arrival Lou uh he uh he has a lower body injury from today yeah uh do you think that's gonna keep him out of honda center for the next ducks home game or do you think he's gonna power through i think lou will will self-medicate and we'll power through and, and we'll get there there it is um all right so let's get to some questions from our twitchy yeah, i go to twitch.tv slash spawn. if you have amazon prime you get one free twitch prime gaming sub each and every month you do have to hit that uh, subscribe button after 30 days it does help support us more than you can imagine um and you get special emotes in the chat special badges next to your name uh rich 20 said question has it now become a quota for the ducks to have at least one defensive liability in their top six every year uh I think that meant to be like defense six top six defensemen yeah I mean that's that's been the way that the cookie is crumbled that's kind of honestly the case for most teams though I feel. I, there, there's
0: always gonna be like most teams don't have six great defensemen but the ducks just have gone out and and gotten the very worst on the third pairing like getting Nathan Boglia choosing to have Nathan Boley on your team and playing him is baffling uh and, I mean, I feel like we we haven't really talked about this enough, but, like, Jamie Drysdale is not playing, and it really sucks because as we're seeing the likes of McTavish, Dostal, Segrist, you know, like, seeing these guys play well and find their footing, like, this was a big year for Drysdale, and his presence would have meant a lot for this blue line. Now, in no way am I suggesting that that would have made the difference here, but it's just that, hey, maybe if Drysdale's in the lineup, maybe you don't get as much of... Uh, you don't get you don't get as much of Bolio, and maybe not as much of Simon Benoit in key roles. Who, by the way, everyone seems to be in agreement that Simon Benoit is like this, you know, solid, like just quietly effective defenseman, and like he can be fine in moments, but the numbers are just ghastly this season. So, yep, just need to dispel uh, that notion.
1: Let's see. Uh, Rooch also asks, does Mason McTavish have a, have a higher upside than Trevor Zegras?
0: I don't think so. I think that they're kind of on the same level. I think, I think that it's also a different type of upside. I think I think they're, Trevor so Ziegris has a higher
1: point upside than Mason McTavish.
0: I think that Mason McTavish could be a better play driver, like a better two-way play driver. And I hate saying that because it kind of reinforces in people's head that, oh, you know, Zegris isn't so great defensively. He's He's fine there. It's just that I think... McTavish has that ability to impact the game kind of in all three zones in a different way, in a bigger way than Zygris does. But Zygris, like you said, has a higher upside offensively and on the power play. So it kind of evens out to me. I feel like they're kind of similar upsides. Yeah. Just in different fashions.
1: Yep. And I think that's actually going to do it for us tonight. Wow. Just like that, huh? At the hour mark. I thought I saw something... That you didn't get to. Oh wow! Did did I did I forget something? Did I miss someone? Did I shun someone? I Uh, hope I didn't. I hope you didn't too. But you know. By the way, apologies for people if I did. I just doing my best here. I want to point out that I went to Chipotle last night. Oh, I saw this. Was this a tweet from you?
0: No more Chipotle. Why? No more Chipotle. Why? I was hungry, and I didn't have anything ready. I wasn't, you know, didn't have anything to cook. Okay. And I I was thinking, okay, am I going to have to talk you off this ledge? No, I was like, basically, okay, I need to go eat something that's relatively healthy. It's 8 p.m. You know, I'm not as Jake is downing a ranch water hard seltzer, not a sponsor, but I'm like, like okay, a sponsor. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, But uh, anyway, so I go to this Chipotle thinking, okay, you know, this is not a bad choice. And it was such a dismal experience just from start to finish. And the food, you know, the food isn't terrible, but it's also just, the big problem with Chipotle for me is the, the temperature of the food. Like, you go to, you know, you go to In-N-Out and your burger's piping hot, like it was just made. And Chipotle, it's like every ingredient is a completely different temperature and it just comes out like really, like almost cold. And look, In-N-Out to me is the gold standard of customer service friendly looks they're at least pretending that they're happy to be there and they all get, might be dead they all might be dead on the inside though did not get the same at, at chipotle so uh, i'm sorry but chipotle is uh is out for me not going back i solemnly
1: swear i'll never return if that's your standard for places you're just not gonna go to a lot of places <laughs> i don't like i eat in more often than not no, Chipotle's good. Chipotle's a great option if you're looking for macros. Sure, I get what you're saying about the different temperatures. That does not actually bug me. Well, like, you know, I, like you as know far you as just, do? like, sustenance... And microwave it. Ugh, no. Ugh. It's actually not bad, if you might... Like, because the cheese ends up becoming a bit more melty. It's actually like, a good call. Like,
0: Chipotle... Like, it's not terrible. Like, the, the food itself is, like, a 6 out of 10, I would say. Like, it can be good. It can hit the spot. I'd say 7. Wait. 7? It depends. Wait, wait you, it depends are you, you not get. supposed
1: to mic? People are mad at me for saying you microwave rice afterwards. Is that a bad thing to microwave rice? No, that's fine. I just okay. don't think microwaving chipotle sounds appetizing at all. Oh, it's it's good. Also, chipotle
0: cold kind of slaps. There's a, God, you're gonna make me sick on this podcast. Um, no one wants to hear me vomit. There's this place by me called Chicken Meats Rice though. Very delicious. Much better. Should have gone there
1: went there today well so. while we're throwing places under the bus can i throw a place under the bus okay so i was in a rush today during my lunch i okay. went and got gas was very surprised got gas for under four dollars at a costco in tustin was very happy about that wait where uh costco in tustin where work oh because you work around there okay yeah, yeah, like, yeah why yeah, are yeah. you what are you doing in in, in <laughs> and south we just trying to find something quick because uh quick did you go to the did you go to the the Costco at uh, the district? No, I went to the one at uh Tustin or at like the Tustin Auto. Oh, Tustin Marketplace. Yeah, 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 I used to live by there. Yeah. And so I was trying to to just find a quick meal, trying to get get in and out quick after. There's a lot of places there. Yes. So places like teeming with food. I've but lunchtime on a weekday can also be crazy. So I saw El Pollo Loco. Oh no. And drove through. Oh no. Because I had seen lately, I'm like they have these stuffed quesadillas. I was like, oh, that actually sounds interesting.
0: You did it. I can't believe you did it. Well, then again, you're a Del Taco fan, so...
1: I got the El Pollo Loco chicken poblano stuffed quesadilla. I was in a rush. I saw it. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's give it a shot. Why do you do these things? The issue is when you (laughs) get a quesadilla, right, what do do you expect? Why do you do these things? What do you expect, even if it's called a stuffed quesadilla? It's basically like a crunch wrap is how it ends up. But what does the, the cheese melty what yes was it cold the cheese in it was cold and there was like a cheese sauce and i was eating my car it spilled on my lap a little (laughs) and it was just dripping out of it anybody (gasps) and it was just like this is not what i signed up for that is really funny please take
0: that that off the menu that is pitiful you just like you're the the amount of l's there just compiling just just take it off the menu sorry i'm laughing at your like awful experience i I
1: don't care i'm putting it on the putting it out on the podcast but that is really that is really really funny it was as i got into it more that i realized like wait the there you can see the cheese and it's like just the the shredded cheese and it's not just fresh out of the bag yeah like what is this so th- well, there's my experience. You, you messed
0: up because when you go to El Pollo Loco, if you're going to go, you get the chicken, whatever, half chicken, quarter chicken, whatever. I wasn't right? going to eat that in my car. Rice.
1: Yeah, but you <laughs> look how it turned out. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I should I should have gone to any other place. I should have gone to Starbucks. At, if, you're, over, if you're in the area that. again,
0: like within two minutes of that, um, it's a chain. But within two minutes of that Costco, there is a what is it? California fish grill is that what it's called yeah I know I had
1: that I had it last week didn't really want that I knew that was right there also that's a good option I'll, also should, that would have that would have taken too long I was yeah, there kind of slow
0: I was in a pinch there was an in-and-out you could have gone in and out in and out in a pinch <laughs> on a lunch day <laughs> honestly every time I have a bad food experience at like a fast food ish type place I'm like man I could have just gone in-and-out. In-and-out, in and out
1: in and out in a pinch on a lunch on a weekday like exist think about what you're saying
0: doesn't exist come on
1: you could have gone a chipotle Uh, chipotle would have been a much better option there's a
0: chipotle around there
1: yeah there are there's a cacophony of options
0: honestly i think the best the best move if you're in a rush is to go into a grocery store and grab something pre-made i feel like that's that's your best bet like if you go to sprouts they have the sandwiches that you can get made or you could grab pre-made ones or if you're by a whole foods you can go into the hot bar All or whatever right. i
1: got one other take for you okay that's a good one i i that's a bold claim i have fully bought it into board and brew what is that why do uh, people a sandwich chain that i board have discovered brew. that is supposed like this this podcast is off the rails it, sorry, folks. The I hockey it, talk's done. Like it's been done for a while. This is something I think Furto in our Discord was really hyping up. Olaf also. It's a very San Diego thing, but I saw one the other week, and I guess there's a couple around me. The sandwiches mm-hmm. are delicious. The bread reminds me of like peak Togos. That yeah, I saw you say that the other day. That Togos. I don't. Like, I don't. I don't, I don't think. Good. I
0: don't think that statement conveys what you're trying. What you think it conveys? Togos.
1: Togos bread
0: is legit good. Togo's is just whatever. No Their one cared. bread was I'm looking at these this place just looks like a whatever sandwich place. Yeah, I
1: I I'm, border I'm brew impressed. was very good. I'm a very big fan of it. Got I'm got the got the Turkey Club.
0: Oh, of course Moni- you did.
1: Monica got the uh French dip. Okay, that's a much better choice. I'm looking at the pictures right now. It it was delicious. Definitely Le- worth a try for everyone out there. Left Coast pastrami
0: looks pretty good. Sponsor us. Baja beef. Wow. Marinated USDA prime beef, grilled onions,
1: jalapeno peppers, melted jack cheese. Togo and Please stop the Togo slander. Lou Togo's is just whatever it's it's It's, dead. So whatever, let let me, let me mourn in peace. (laughs) Let me mourn. It's still alive. There's a Togo's across from my school. Well, they're dead. It's all dead around here. Uh,
0: also Tustin is not North Orange County. By the way, I have an official, uh, I have an official way of knowing this North versus South thing. And I feel like this is actually a very, very legitimate way of doing so. If you go to the Orange County Register website, which we would all agree... That is, also
1: has a central on which it. Which we I would saw all that. agree I, I saw is this the preeminent
0: <laughs> source. It does not have a central, which we would all agree is the preeminent source of news and of understanding of Orange County. Has a North OC and a South OC section. And... Oh, God damn it. Tustin is in the North OC section. Never mind. (laughs) mind. But Newport Beach is in the South one, which is what we had. But Tustin is in the North. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Never mind. Not the preeminent source. I'm going to have to reach out to their editors and uh, I don't know. Give them my two cents on that. Also, Ike's has gone down in in quality. (laughs) Now I'm changing the subject. I
1: I think I almost (laughs) screenshot this once just to put that Tustin's in the North. And yeah, then I saw I, that south had Irvine. Irvine is partially south. Newport's partially south.
0: I, I think Newport's only south. No. Like, if we agree. If we agree. If we agree. Yes, I did get got. Um, I'm,
1: I'm acknowledging <laughs> that. The, the peninsula is north. If we. No. What are you saying? The peninsula is north. Oh, uh, OK. If south, we, south is when there is mountains by the beach. That is the designation. it's When not. there's hills by the beach and there's cliff sides, that it's, is the designation between South. This man north. needs to be stopped. Nor- north OC, as someone who lives in South OC now, North OC is where the beach is. It's a flat landscape all around you. South is where it becomes cliffside. It's a very different geography around it. Okay, well you're wrong. That's
0: fine. I also don't live in Orange County anymore, so I don't. I don't even care about this debate. I, I, I you're know. the one. You're the one who brought this up. But I. But I, I. I want to call back to an important comment in our in our chat. Winterborne saying Ike's love and sandwiches is also great, and Ike's. He's used also to be saying great. Newport Beach is not South County. Ike's used to be awesome, but I feel like because they have so many branches now, or so, branches, so many locations now, I feel like the quality's gone down a little bit. But it can be very good. Newport Beach is is South County. The Orange County Register, the preeminent source of all things Orange County, the most well-respected institution in Orange County, which is a low bar looking at local politics, but the most well-respected
1: institution has them listed at South Orange County. That is irrefutable. I am a South Orange County resident. I am the lawmaker in this now. (laughs) I am the decision maker. Look, I look at it as vibes. I, I am a. I home- look at it, I, I, I am a homeowner in South Orange County.
0: Oh wow! Just uh, flex on us even more. <laughs> Love that. No, but I look at it as a vibe situation. Oh,
1: it is a vibe. You can't situation. you can't
0: purely logic your way through this. And to me, no one in their right minds would walk through Orange walk through Newport Beach and think, "Ha, huh, I'm in North County." No one would ever think that. That would never enter their mind. If you're if you're walking through Fullerton, Brea. Uh, whatever those those cities, you're thinking you're not thinking South County whatsoever. You're thinking I am in this grid. It is muggy. It is polluted.
1: That not that's to, what, that's, not what to co- co- that's what Costa Mesa and Newport Beach. All no Newport Beach. Like.
0: Newport Beach, you have the literal sea breeze coming in to wash all that away.
1: What, what about Huntington Beach? What about Seal Beach? Well, Huntington.
0: Hmm. What about? Seal I, I, Beach? I don't want to. I don't want to trash on potential listeners or people. I will just say Huntington is not as good as Newport. Just just because there's a beach does not mean that it is South Orange County. That the is vibes are sumption. the vibes matter. No, I'm talking about Newport specifically. I'm not. I'm not.
1: Newport has the same vibes as Huntington. At no, times. it does
0: not. Are you shitting me? It's the same. Th- this as is Seal. this is how it's I very know. Similar. This is how I know you've never lived in Newport because I have Newport not. and Newport and Huntington are very distinct from each other.
1: All right. Yes, there is some overlap. Agreed, but different parts of parts of Newport are south. Like Fashion Island, dude. But Fashion peninsula- Island is
0: like ten minutes
1: from the peninsula. Yeah, the peninsula is north. They're they're like on the same latitude. Now the vibes are different between those two. Oh, I'm.
0: I mean, I don't know why I get so mad about this. <laughs> you get so mad at it, but I do. So funny.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's infuriating. I, this is Felix's trigger moment. Yeah, I've I've Felix- actually been. I, I took the bait. The best part is that you did this to yourself.
0: Also, people that are listening that don't live in California, I'm sorry. Actually, not even California. Like, just don't live in South or don't live in Orange County. I'm I'm sorry, but but we do cater to our audience who is you know primarily in Orange oh, County. People I'm, just, I'm, just I'm being named Felix Tustin. <laughs> <laughs> I did used to live in Tustin, so Tustin. Does that that Tus- make, by Tustin your logic that. North. By your logic, that makes me wait, the arbiter so wait, of where is, Tustin is, is located. Is Orange North
1: County? Yes. Tustin is the same as Orange. To me... In the vibes. Tustin the is different. It depends where you are in Tustin. Like Tustin's
0: North. Because t- the, the area where you just were, uh, <laughs> your, the El
1: Pollo Loco disaster, that, <laughs> that to me is like... That's where South County is, that, is starting. That is that is kind of where the designation I, I would argue that... There's not much of Tustin south of that, though. Majority like, of like, Tustin like, to is To me, north. the area by the Tustin marketplace
0: is basically Irvine. Like, it, it's, it. It's, How are
1: people still listening to this? I mean, we
0: don't actually know that they are. I, I guess can we have people, see, we have I can people see in the stream.
1: Our numbers are very similar right now to where they were 10, 15 minutes ago. My middle name has also been
0: designated as Aquatic Sting. Yeah, my, my one and only Aquatic Sting incident
1: has been in, in South Orange County, New <laughs> this- Newport Beach. So, yeah, they hurt. There, there it goes. That stingray that's in our YouTube chat is from, uh, from North County.
0: You know, I sometimes wonder if that stingray that stung me is still out there, wandering. Like, how? What's their lifespan? What is a stingray's <laughs> lifespan? Ever? Well, I have to know this now. Stingray lifespan.
1: Oh, this podcast. Is Wait, just... actually,
0: actually guess, guess how long a stingray's lifespan is. Let's go twenty years.
1: Twenty. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'll go ten average lifespan is between five and ten years okay damn it that's a long time for those those things to just be broming yeah, and stabbing yes,
1: yes Winterborn. born felix does hope that it died i don't hope that it died i just i hope no one else has been stung i thought you were about to say you hope it feels pain
0: no i mean okay it's it's just a wild animal protecting itself riro is telling us that he loves these random ramblings glad we can bring that to you this I don't, br- I don't begrudge an animal for protecting itself in its in its environment. I was the intruder. I am not a water creature. It was in its that I was on its home court. Do you wish that you were a water creature, though? <laughs> Honestly, okay. Do fish sleep? <laughs> that was I've always meant wondered to be this. Re-
1: rhetorical? Not no. No
0: fish do not sleep. I actually have this app on my phone where they. It's like a project <laughs> where they put trackers on sharks. And you can track like their, you know, yes. their range. Yeah, it is insane how much ground, or I guess how much water they cover. Yeah, like it's actually they're, they're insane.
1: Ground still works because there is ground underneath the water. Okay, yeah. Well, it's it's amazing how much ground they cover. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, sharks are not as dangerous as everyone kind of thinks they're out to be. Well, just if, don't poke the bear. Well, it's just don't it's don't poke the bear. It's be cautious of, of various different situations. But we're starting to find out that a lot of the waters around here have more sharks in them that you think than than you know about. And it really is a situation where they just have a bad rap. They're not gonna hurt you most of the yeah,
0: time. Yeah. I had a friend in Newport who uh who would go into the water with uh, those like shark repeller things that you put on your ankle. That's a, like this I think this is like fake. Fake science. I don't think it actually works. But it's supposed to be like some magnet
1: or something that lets off a frequency that repels them, but Ray, Ray Gonzalez does not want this podcast to end because he just put in our YouTube chat a, a comment, a question that okay. uh, is going to set you off okay. for a good 10 minutes. Probably. Oh, no. Why do NHL fans get upset about OT games being decided by a shootout and the World Cup was just decided just like that? Okay. So this is a little bit different. At first I read this as why are NHL fans being upset that that game was decided by a shootout? Because you and I both saw plenty of that on Twitter on Sunday was that people were upset that uh, that game were, was decided by a shootout. Here's my question. So Haley Wickenheiser
0: is a former Olympian, great team Canada player, um, legend of the sport, blah, blah, blah. You can, you can go on about her accolades. And was it, The last Olympics, or it was a few Olympics ago, I don't remember, where Team Canada lost in a shootout. This was like a big game. I'm forgetting which game it was. But they lost in a shootout to Team USA, and Team USA, you know, wins, blah, blah, Team Canada is despondent. I don't even know if we can tie on that team. But the point is, she put out a tweet during the World Cup final saying, oh, these important games shouldn't be decided by a shootout. Well, what if Team Canada had won in a shootout, a medal, or something like that? Like, you know, does I mean, that, te- technically, they did win a silver, right? Like, does that invalidate the result? Because it was, and I don't think that's what she was trying to say. But like, why is it so wrong for a game to be decided by this specific way? Like, do we really want players to be playing until they can't walk anymore, or do, until they're broken down physically, where it just becomes a matter of luck and and who's last man standing who's last man that can move it's just also we the game has to end the game has to end eventually like like like, this whole thing is a fiction right sports are a fiction like just because it's it's the shootout is slightly different from five on five it's all it's all a game anyway right so like stop pretending that it's this sin
1: i i also think from the perspective of 2018 um, i think is the one i'm thinking about yes yeah that is the one you're thinking about um I also think from the perspective of – I mean, the game quality devolves so heavily as the overtime still go, keep going on and on and on. And we see it so many times in the NHL. It's kind of once you get past one overtime. Yeah. The overtimes keep going the, because –
0: the, the goals are always some, like, crappy bounce, right? Well, because
1: it, the guys don't have the, the, the wherewithal at that point in time to put together a play to be able to score a goal. Like – they're they're struggling at that point in time because of the, the wear and tear on their body. And, and so I don't know. I, I think it's just a it's the same thing as NHL fans not wanting ties. Um yeah. it like it's the same concept. And so I mean I think at a certain point, like this is the game, like this isn't what the question was asking, but I think soccer has always had penalty shootouts. This is always has the game within
0: it's within the fabric and the history of the game.
1: And so people and people may not think it's fair, but it's it's a 50 like it's not a a coin flip. Like the goalies have a chance to be able to make a play. The shooters are shooting on the goal. Like and the thing is, uh, like you could at least make the argument. And from a hockey perspective is Penalty shots don't happen that often in games. I just think that hockey fans want to apply their rules and their beliefs to this other sport. Yes, but I think from if you're trying to say, why are these two things so different? I think with hockey, penalty shots don't happen very often within the course of a game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Within a course of a soccer game, penalties happen not super frequently, but way more frequently than a penalty shot happens. Yeah, And so it's something that is within the fabric of the game. And if that World Cup was decided by let's just say Mbappe's penalty, by Messi's penalty, would anyone say that that was unfair? Yeah. And I just I just don't think the actual soccer fans are having this debate. No, no one cares. It was an amazing game, one of the best World Cup finals that you'll ever see. Messi won the World Cup. France made it to back-to-back World Cups, which is insane, and almost won their second. Mbappe almost put his stake in the claim at being the the next person <laughs> behind Messi. To, I do to really take the claim, take I, the the best player in the world yeah, moniker.
0: I do love this idea of taking breaks, take an hour lunch break, two hour lunch break between overtimes, playoff hockey. Just do like cricket and just adjourn until the next day.
1: Once you hit a certain point, just all right, we're going to come back tomorrow. We, yeah, should all, and, we should
0: all take our example from this great sport of cricket.
1: Yep, yep, yep. And Desalvi says this. Yeah, there there were three penalty shot goals in regulation in that final. Like. I don't know. Like, people should, or, uh, that wasn't regulation. That was within ex- uh, added time. Like, also. I'm not, I'm not against, like, these, you know, classic long
0: overtime games. Like, there is a, there is a great entertainment to them. There's a drama to it. Yeah. Like, it is cool to watch and it is remarkable when one team comes and out and that's on top. part of hockey. But I don't, and
1: that, and that's part of hockey's history.
0: Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want a Stanley Cup final decided by a
1: shootout, right? Like, yeah. But that's because it's a different sport, different, everything like I, Dif- I different rule sets different history and at a certain point you do have to respect that type of history that's there like, a, like a, a
0: stanley cup final has never been decided by a shootout ever 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 whereas in soccer like this is there's precedent for this so okay i think we've reached the
1: end yep unless we haven't maybe i think maybe, we i I, we I i thought we were about to like button up this podcast be done at like an like, hour like 10, half an hour ago and we're almost at an hour and a half
0: well, people asked, and we delivered.
1: Yeah, yeah. Slash, so. we kind of just found tangents to go on. Okay. We, we,
0: yeah, we. I said it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, on that note, thanks everybody for listening. This has been an awesome show. Really fun to talk about wins and great individual performances. If you want to help support us and keep this thing going, there's a few really easy ways uh, for you to do that. The number one way is to check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crash the pond and for $1 a month, you can get access to our patrons only discord chat discord server. Uh, This is where you're going to get to connect with other diehard Ducks fans and really improve and enhance your Ducks experience online. I think that if you're someone particularly maybe who lives in another state or somewhere where there's just not a lot of other Ducks fans, this is a great way to meet and connect with other people Uh, and including us, we're in there all the time. For $5 a month, you get access to that Discord server, and you also get access to two bonus podcasts a month. So, for example, the one we just did this weekend, uh, we did the Ducks' Top 10 Prospects currently. So that was a lot of fun. And this month in December, we're actually doing three. So this is a, a good time to sign on. You get more bang for your buck. Uh, that's all at patreon.com slash pond Also, find us on Apple Podcasts. Just search Crash the Pond, leave a rating and a review. Those go a very long way, and uh, they help keep the show growing. It's also completely zero cost to you outside of just maybe a couple minutes. Check us out on Spotify. Uh, You can leave us a rating there. I don't think you can leave reviews yet on Spotify. But you can just ratings. You can leave ratings, so make sure to do that. Again, zero cost outside of just a couple seconds, really. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Crash the Pond. You can see the video format of this show. You can see us and our beautiful
1: backgrounds and Ooh, our visual I just, effects. I just noticed on Spotify, we are getting close, kind of, to 100. We're at 84. If you guys all want to help us hit 100, that'd be great. Yeah, help us get there. So check us out on YouTube as well. Subscribe to us
0: there, importantly. Um, and outside of that, check out our website, crashthepond.com we've got a shop so if you're if you're in a bind here for a gift idea uh, we do have a shop page on there you can order mugs t-shirts all kinds of cool apparel to support the show and to give a gift to a ducks fan in your life also check out the sporting tribune yes we've been we've been writing articles there sportingtribune.com and we're trying to really give ducks fans as much written content as we can because we do feel like this is an area of improvement in the media landscape. And we think that we can do a good job of it. And also there's other, there's plenty of coverage on there for other
1: SoCal teams on top of that. I mean, if you're a Lakers fan, a Clippers fan, if you are a Dodgers fan, an angels fan, whatever, whatever other teams, I think they, there was great world cup coverage that you could find on there. Yeah. Go check it out. Go, go check out the sporting tribune. Really great work. No paywall. It's free. No paywall. Great writers all going on over there. They actually have some podcasts. Also, I know um, Arash Markazi has his own podcast if you go and check it out. Really great work. And also, actually, should plug this. Um, Arash, if you go on the the Sporting Tribune, he has a a newsletter that you can subscribe to where in your email every day, you will get a couple of articles linked to that might be of uh, note to you, including you'll find our articles in there when they go up and podcasts and everything like that. So please subscribe to that newsletter. Yeah, absolutely. So go
0: check that out. And if you want to just keep track of all of this, the easiest way to do it, honestly, is to find us on Twitter. Follow us there. Jake is at reindeergames91. I'm at felix underscore card. That is going to do it for the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you in a week, most likely. Bye.